Life Church created this podcast because we all need healthy conversations with real people. So this podcast is here to help you start real conversations with your life group, friends, and family. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the You've Heard It Said podcast. This is Allie. And this is Stuart. Oh my gosh. If you want to get that joke, then you should listen to the last episode. Oh. This is Jason. Okay, Jason. Well, today I thought we could talk about Monopoly. Have mm. you ever played Monopoly? Have I played Monopoly? <laughs> like, how old do you think I am? This wasn't like an age joke. I just didn't know if you've ever played it before. What? Yes, we played Monopoly. <laughs> well, good to know. I was just establishing that. So okay. people usually have some strong feelings about their strategy behind yes. Monopoly. Yeah, I do. I figured that you would. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about your strategy at Monopoly. And then if my strategy's better, I win. Um, that's not really the point, but sure. Sure, <laughs> sure. If you if your strategy's better, then you can win. Okay, so honestly, this is my strategy for all games. My strategy is, how can I take advantage of whatever the rules are in this game and whoever happens to be playing this game so that I can have the most fun? And sometimes that means trying to win, and sometimes that means picking on someone, and sometimes that means just, you know, finding some rule that's sort of gray and trying to break it. You know, just what's the most fun thing I can do for the next couple hours while we play? Might be fun for you and not fun for anyone else. Okay, that that's true. So, okay, what's your strategy? Okay, so I have not played Monopoly in a very long time. But when I was a kid, it would get very— So, like, four or five years ago? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, Stuart. <laughs> when I was a kid, this would get really heated in my house because I have two brothers, and one of them is five years older than me, and the other is seven years younger than me. And so when my dad would play with us, he would make these ridiculous deals with my younger brother because he couldn't really understand what he was doing. And so it would bankrupt my older brother and I. Mm. And then my older brother would get in on it and make even more shady deals. And I would get so mad about the whole thing because I would try to explain to my younger brother, hey, this is a really bad deal. Dad is trying to take advantage of you. But he wouldn't listen. And then to <laughs> retaliate for me telling my younger brother that it was a bad deal, my dad would purposefully make deals that would bankrupt me first. All I'm hearing is that your dad was trying to have the most fun. <laughs> you would view it that way. <laughs> I'm just saying that it seems like the strategy goes back to like relationships and taking advantage <laughs> of opportunities that present themselves and like knowing the people you're playing with and having fun. Okay. I don't think so. But in a weird way, that does actually segue exactly into what we're talking about this week. We're going to get practical about how to manage our money. And I think that we'll find that relationships, obedience, and taking advantage of opportunities is a big part of managing our real life money, not just monopoly money. So basically, I win. No. What you're saying is... That is that's not what I'm saying, especially because you don't want to take advantage of others when dealing with like actual so, money. So you're saying I should just think of my money as like monopoly money. Not entirely. <laughs> no, I think you're missing the point here. So you're saying the big question is how do I practically manage my money? Yes. Okay. And actually, we're going to talk to one of my favorite people. He's someone who has actually been a mentor to me. And he's really, I think, going to become a mentor to you in this season. I really just respect anything that John Davis has to say about generosity. And he's going to talk about another idea, building generational wealth. 
And I think that you're really going to benefit from his wisdom, his stories, and his perspective. Well, John, welcome to the You've Heard It Said podcast. Thank you, Allie. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. Don't yeah. know why I was chosen, but I'm going to step into the moment and fill the gap and try to make this as enjoyable as we possibly can. Oh, my goodness. Well, there's so many reasons why you were chosen. You have impacted my view of how to manage finances really well. So I'm excited for all of our life groups to get to hear and talk about it as well. So before we really dive into all of that, I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about what was life like for you when you were growing up? Okay. My parents divorced when I was eight years old. And I want to say my mom remarried when I was probably around 13 or 14. Yeah. Eight kids in the house. Oh, wow. <laughs> so life was fairly tough. However, the thing that was really interesting about it was because we were on the lower, what I would call lower middle class, at 14 years old, I got my first job. Oh, wow. And at 14 years old, I started helping pay bills in the household. So the first paycheck I ever got went toward assisting and paying bills. Oh, so one okay. of the things I think I credit with my life today is the fact that I never had the opportunity to ever spend my entire paycheck. Oh, so wow. when it came to investing, that turned out to be a blessing. Now, as a 14-year-old, <laughs> I wasn't excited about that at all, okay? But when I look back in hindsight, it was one of those things that helped me establish some of the disciplines that I've been able to develop today. I imagine that that probably influenced your view of money pretty significantly. So I wonder what kind of mindsets did you have around it when you were a kid? Well, I think early on, I was taught that no one's going to give you anything for free. You have to earn <laughs> everything you want to do. I also looked at some of the people around me and the ones that I considered to be fairly generous appeared to be fairly successful also in life. So I kind of saw a connection between, I think, generosity and success. The scripture that I like to go back to and think about is in Matthew 25, 21, where it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful to a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And the mm -hmm. word that stands out to me is servant. So I've always had this mindset that we're called to take the money that we receive and use it to serve others, mm -hmm. not to continue to use it on ourselves. Or as the parable talk about building barns, build mm -hmm. bigger barns. Mm -hmm. That's good. So you mentioned this connection between generosity and success. Mm -hmm. Where did you see that? One of the um, individuals who became a lifetime mentor for me is a gentleman by the name of Eddie Odom. And I saw him pour so much into children, in their lives, day in and day out. And at the same time, I saw God allow him to build this real estate empire. Wow. And for me, it was the connection of his ability to love out to others, to reach out to others, to give to others unconditionally. God was blessing him with that success. Yeah. And the reason it means a lot to me is baseball happened to be my way to college hmm. and allowed me to be able to do some of the things I've done. Hmm. Wow. So it sounds like you had a lot of really great influences in your life, helping you figure out your mindsets about money. Right. So how have they evolved over time? So you're 14, you're helping pay with the water bill. Right. What happens next when you start? So what happens next is I meet this family called the Neoportis. And Tom Neoporti, it turns out to be a professional golfer. And his son, Nipper, is my catcher. 
And the Neoportis basically mentor me. They mm-hmm. take me into their arms and they begin to teach me about life, not only through being generous to me and my family, but about how, how to take your resources and build wealth and work toward others. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would never know that they were wealthy because they never mm-hmm. flaunted their wealth. They never wore the most fancy clothes. And it was the beginning of showing me that wealth wasn't necessarily an identity thing. Mm-hmm. It was it was a way of leveraging resources to help others. That's interesting. So you've mentioned in relationship to generosity a few times, mm-hmm. some relationships. Right. What role do you think relationships have when we think about managing our resources? I think it plays a significant role because first of all, God created us to be relational, right? As we're talking about these life groups right now, we're building relationships. Mm -hmm. God has given everyone that's a part of these life groups today listening different resources. Some Mm -hmm. may be financial, some may be time, some may be energy, some may just be listening Mm -hmm. or praying over others. But we all have gifts that he's given us and he expects us to be generous in those gifts to others. I always take the the entire Bible and wrap it down to the two things that Jesus said, Mm. love God and love people. Mm. And the way we love people is being generous out of our hearts. That's really good. So you mentioned that baseball is kind Uh of how you went on to college. I wondered, could you tell me a little bit about what college was like for you? Okay, it was interesting. I ended up at two colleges. The first college I went to was in Williamsburg, Kentucky. And I actually went on a baseball scholarship. Mm-hmm. And probably one of the most interesting decisions, I won't call it a bad decision because of, because I would never would have met my wife if I had made the decision. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting decisions that I made in my life is I decided to walk away from financial aid toward baseball in Kentucky oh. and go and walk on and pay my way to play baseball at, at, at Howard University in Washington, D.C. I had been working summers at IBM down in Boca Raton, Florida. And from there... I was offered an opportunity to work in Washington, D.C. while I was in school with IBM. And that job paid about $15 an hour back in 1981, which is the equivalent of about $43 an hour today. Oh, wow. And as a result of that, I said, okay, I'm I'm playing baseball for free. I have this opportunity to be able to start to save and learn. And I basically gave up baseball and began to work three quarters, about 30 hours a week, with IBM and going to school at the same time to finish my degree in economics. And it was in economics where I began to talk about the value of money, both from a a macro and a micro perspective. And one of the things that we did as a project was we took $5,000 at the beginning of the semester and everybody had to, we played an investment game. And the person who had the most money at the end of there would automatically get an A in the class and then letter grades would go up from there. Unfortunately, I didn't win, but I did come in second place. And that did begin the process of how do I learn to go and create wealth? Wow. Okay, so you go to college, you take this scholarship, choose something different. That was a little bit harder financially. Mm -hmm. What's going through your mind at this time? I knew passionately where I wanted to go to school, and I knew why I wanted to be there. So I was willing to do whatever it would take Mm -hmm. without sinning. (laughs) in in order to get my way through college. And I think a lot of life is all about just having the appropriate mindset and approaching things Mm -hmm. instead of taking the attitude of, this is going to be really hard. 
I said, I know I'm capable of working 30 hours a week and also going to school 18 hours to be able to get this done. Mm. And I was able to get it done. Didn't own a car, rode the bus. I was sometimes in D.C. standing in the snow, standing (laughs) in the rain, standing in all type of elements. But I knew at the end of the day, the goal to finish college was very important to me. Mm. Wow. So when you come out of college, you get this job that turns out to be pretty generous. Mm. So did everything just kind of magically fall into place at this time? Well, let's talk about generous. Generous (laughs) back then was about $28,000 a year, okay? But one of the things they did offer in that job was a 401k. And through that, I was able, they matched up to 5%. So my first 401k investments were at $1,400 a year with a matching of $1,400 a year. So what I want everyone to hear is it's never too late to start and there's never too small an amount you can begin with. Hmm. If you have an opportunity to leverage matching 401k in your jobs, I would strongly suggest that it's something that you would consider doing. And the thing about investing that's really, really important is that the sooner you start the investments, the earlier they're going to begin. For me, investing early was a little bit of a challenge. Mm. I've been married to my wife, Deborah, for 37 years. Deborah's always been a saver. Mm. I was a spender. The (laughs) opportunity, the the money I had left to spend, I would spend a little bit. And I would never forget that we would have, once a month, budget meetings at the kitchen table. And we were allotted, based upon our budget, a certain amount of money to spend a month. And I would pick a fight just to break up the budget (laughs) meeting because I didn't want to have that conversation. But over time, her influence of being a saver was very, very influential to me. So even though today I sit here and I feel very good about what I've accomplished from from a wealth standpoint, it's only because I had a beautiful wife along by my side who taught me the value of saving. Hmm. I like that because it goes back to what you were talking about earlier about how relationships can influence all of those mm-hmm. things. So you mentioned you guys had these budget right. meetings. Okay. Even having budget meetings right. is a sure. win. So right. how did you guys know, like, we need to do this? Yeah. Well, for me, my, my oldest brother, James, was debt-free in the 90s. And he would always talk to me about being debt-free. And that was very influential to me. I joined Life Church in 2004 and Pastor Craig was debt-free at the time I met him. Dave Ramsey had a radio show back then talking about being debt-free, and I wanted to be debt-free myself. So in 2005, I attended FPU, Financial Mm. Peace University, at Life Church, and that provided me the tools to be able to go on this journey to be debt-free. Wow. Okay, so what were some of the things that you learned that were most beneficial when you think about money? The first thing that I think I had to learn was the value of being patient and not impulsive, Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. and understanding that generational wealth takes time to build. Andy Stanley made a statement that says, giving up something for something better later is not a sacrifice, it's an investment. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite lines from Pastor Craig says, the decisions you make today will determine the stories you tell tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's another saying that I've heard is that investing is not a microwave, It's like a crock pot. Mm. And so I think the biggest thing we have to do and overcome is the instant gratification of wanting things now. Mm. So what did that look like in my life? So we've been in the same house now for 30 years, even though our incomes have probably raised 10, 12 fold. We have owned 
probably an average in the third, last 30 years, about three cars each for an average wow. of about 10 years a car. Huh. So car, vehicles, those we have found contentment in the things that we have, and we have not allowed ourselves just because of our peer group or those that we know or those that we spend time around has chosen to elevate their lives that we have a need to elevate ours. And so the other thing that I think was very critical for us, a decision that we made early on that helped us on the debt-free pathway, we made a decision that our budget was going to be based on the smallest income in the household. So if wow. that particular individual was laid off or got downsized and lost their job, we were still able to meet our needs. So basically, from almost 20-plus years of marriage, our, our margin has at least been the lowest, the lowest paycheck in the household, and wow. it's made a big difference for us. Wow. So there's so many amazing things yeah. that you just said. One of the things that I heard you say is generational wealth. Mm-hmm. I wondered if you could define that for us and then tell me why does it matter? Okay. Well, let me help you get to what got me there. There's a book that I read along this journey called The Millionaire Next Door. And that book was very influential to me. So the mindset that was important to me that led toward generational wealth, which is creating wealth for the next generation. But mm-hmm. it's not just creating wealth for the next generation for them to create to buy more toys, for me, Mm. is creating wealth so that they can make a tenfold impact on the kingdom that that I will ever be able to make in my lifetime. Mm. So therefore, in order to build wealth, sacrifice has to start in generation number one, and Mm. then the next generation will go forward. Now, what's Mm -hmm. what's interesting about that book is it talks about how normally by two or three generations, the wealth is gone. Because the principles and the disciplines that was developed in the first generation doesn't necessarily pass down. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's been important to me is to help my son understand financial literacy so that as the assets come his way, he's able to use them more appropriately and be able to teach them to the next generation to be able to do the same thing. Mm. So what are some of the things that you're teaching him? Well, he's a saver. Number one. And and so that's really, really important. We talked about matching 401k. We talk about stock investing and what that looks like and just trying to walk through what some of those things do. Mm-hmm. So my overall, you were talking about stock being a little overwhelming yeah. before. So here's here's kind of been my approach to that is that start with something that you're passionate about. It's it's very, very important for you to have an understanding of what you do. So, for example, I was in the technology field with Seagate for a lot of years. So a lot of my initial investments in stock were in technology because I understood the things that could make a difference. The other thing is it's going to take time no matter what. Mm -hmm. So as much as I like the appeal and the allure of what everybody talks about Bitcoin— I don't understand Bitcoin. I'm not passionate about Bitcoin, so I don't invest in Bitcoin. Warren Buffett tends to invest in those traditional things that everybody knows about. So as people begin to go in the market, I would suggest they start with mutual funds and ETFs before they be able to move into actual stocks. Now, if they wanted to go stocks, and I was starting today, the stocks that I would probably go into, all those traditional businesses that what I would call recession-proof, no matter Mm -hmm. how the economy goes, those goods and services are still going to be needed. So it's just understanding the market, understanding resources, and being able to be patient and take time. Hmm. 
So for anybody who's maybe never invested before, is a 401k like the best place that they can start? And then for people who are wondering, like, it feels like my paychecks are tight right now. How can I sacrifice to do 401k? What would you tell them? Okay. A 401k is definitely the best place to start first. So I I have an example here to just help us with, Allie, Mm -hmm. and why it's important to start early. So this is an example based upon 20-year-old investing a 401k for 45 years to age 65. And he assumes an annual investment of $3,000 a year. So that's a little under $300 a month at an 8% rate of return. After 45 years, that's worth $1.2 million. Hmm. If someone at 40 years old waited 20 years and then began to invest, and it's still never too late, and they do the same $3,000 at an 8% return, it's, it's only about $275,000. Mm, so wow. by just starting 20 years early and having the discipline, it will put, it will put over $800,000 more into the opportunity to invest and to be generous with others. The other thing that I would just say about that is even when things seem tough, that's what budgets are there for. We mm. all have places in our lifestyles where we can go make changes and adjustments. I used to be a member of a club that was called the Mocha Club, and it was basically a donation of $6 a month that spent that sent money to help people start businesses in Africa. Hmm. And a cheap of a cup of coffee at Starbucks can begin. So just think if we currently drink Starbucks, okay, once a week, that's at least $25 right there that you have the opportunity mm-hmm. to invest in your 401k. And there isn't a minimum amount that you have to start with. Hmm. And, I, and once... Once it begins, then you'll go for it. The thing that I just want to encourage you, though, and it's really important, and we talked about patience over time, mm. it's like weight loss. <laughs> People will begin to start a new weight loss plan in January. Mm-hmm. And because they don't see any improvement in June, they will then all of a sudden decide to give up. Mm. But the real weight loss may not start until September or October and the advancement gains begin. There's an investing what's called the rule of 72. So what the rule of 72 is, is that if you were to take the number of years that um, rate of return and you divide that by 72, that will allow your money to double at that rate. So just take for simple math, let's say the the return rate is 7.2. So that says every 10 years, your money will double, right? So let's say, for example, I started out very slow and I only have $2,000. Okay, after year ten, the two thousand dollars is worth four thousand. Then it's then it goes to eight thousand. Then it goes to sixteen thousand. Then it goes to thirty-two thousand. Then it goes to sixty-four thousand. Okay, then it goes to one hundred twenty-eight thousand off of just a two thousand dollar investment. Now imagine if over time you're doing the same thing, and at age thirty, you now have let's say. into your retirement account. So at age uh, 40, that's $100,000. At age 50, that's $200,000. At age 60, that's $400,000. At age 70, that's $800,000. So what happened was on the front end, it didn't grow very fast. Mm. But on the back end, it grew exponentially fast. Mm. And you're going to see the same thing in how you invest. The first 10 to 12 years, you may not see significant gains, Mm. but the time you get around year 12 
13, 14, you're going to reach a point to where the gains are going to, not only they're going to be more significant, mm. the returns you're going to receive are going to be greater than the income you make. Mm. And that's when, you, that's when you're in the place of not only you have the freedom to do the things you want to do, you have the margin to be blessing to others that you weren't able to be a blessing to early in your life. I'm glad that you mentioned that because one other thing that sometimes people will talk about is this tension of like, we want to invest in our future and be good stewards, but we also want to be irrationally generous right now. Mm -hmm. So how do we do both? I think the way we do both, as much as I tell you about financial peace and Dave Ramsey plan, there are portions of Dave Ramsey plan that I leveraged, and then there were other parts that I didn't. And, I, and the thing I like about Dave Ramsey's plan, if you don't have the discipline to save, it's a great program to be in for about a four or five-year window until you develop those disciplines. Mm-hmm. Once you have developed those disciplines to save, then I think you have the opportunities by all means to be able to do both. What I've found is, as we talked about, to whom much is given, much is, much is expected. As you begin to be great stewards of what God has given you, and you're able to be helpful there, the more you have the ability to be able to be generous to others. For example, as I talked about earlier in the conversation about Deborah and I having the margin with one income there, what it allowed us to do over the years is increase the, I know the tide is 10%, but it allowed us to increase our giving on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. And therefore, as a result of that, God continued to bless that. As we talked about earlier, if you're faithful with few things, he will allow you to be faithful with many things. The other thing that I feel in generosity that has nothing to do with, from my standpoint, with me monetarily, is a year ago I got diagnosed with with a, with a health illness. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, I've always mowed my own lawn, always were able to do things. For, for a season, I wasn't able to do some things health-wise. Mm-hmm. And my direct reports took it upon themselves to have my mowed lawn for... Mm-hmm an entire year almost. Huh. And so at the end of the day, that generosity didn't come that way, but it came as a result of being faithful to others. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, a, I'm just a true believer that the more generous we are the people, the more resources God is gonna allow you to steward. I think that's Life Church story. Mm-hmm. Life Church story mm-hmm. is Life Church open their arms and begin to give things away. And look at the things that are being done through version, all mm-hmm. the campuses. Because I think, as I talked about earlier, Pastor Craig having a discipline of debt-free, I mm-hmm. don't think it's by accident that we've had so many campuses lately in a row, got to be in excess of 15, mm-hmm. that have been debt-free when they've opened. I think yeah. God has honored his lifestyle. Mm. So you mentioned earlier that you got this health diagnosis. I wondered, could you walk us through, like, what was that first week like for you? Sure, Allie. It was tough news. It was actually a pretty tough diagnosis. I would admit the first 24 hours, probably cried like a baby. Mm. After that, there was a peace that came over me. And the peace was really built around a mindset of, if this is it, no regrets. I felt like I had done what I needed to do to set my family up financially to be able to go forward. So I had peace of mind with that. I felt like I had put 17 years in the ministry and had served God well in that time. I also felt like I was at a place to where the people around me showered me with so much love mm-hmm. that it was just amazing. You, by no means would I ever, I would just want to let everybody know that 
I'm on an, I'm doing really well right now. Mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot of favorable news over the last several months that yeah. is very encouraging to me. But by no means would I ever want anyone to have to go through mm-hmm. what I've had to go through. Yeah. But at the same time, what it has demonstrated to me is God's love through mm-hmm. his people. It takes wow. us back to the whole conversation about relationships again mm-hmm. and the people that have reached out to me, the people that have prayed for me, the people that have shared for me have been really, really helpful. The other thing God taught me in this, and it's, I guess it's just about being generous in our thoughts, is mm-hmm. that it started out with my prayer life being more around focused on me, you mm-hmm. know, God help me, save me, do these things. And God said, your focus needs to be on pouring into others. So mm-hmm. I immediately changed how I focus my daily prayer life to God, how do I love others? How do I pray for others? How do mm-hmm. I be there for others? How do I continue to pour generously into those? And we never know what life holds for us. But what I do know is that as a result of my mind shift shifting and my focus off of me into God's people, kingdom, and other, there's a peace beyond understanding that has come over me throughout mm. this entire ordeal. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's really good. So as we close out, I wondered mm-hmm. if there's any final advice that you would give anybody who's maybe starting out on managing their money. I would just say start wherever you can. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest start with a 401k and put in as little as your time. The key is to just be consistent and be faithful. Remember, we're talking about generating wealth, saving for your future. One thing I would just like to say here is I would feel more comfortable being able to say, I know I can give $75 a month towards something every time than to go put in $200 and then I really only need, I can afford $75 and now my car breaks down or something else happens and I'm now going back and forth on what my giving, what my saving looks like. I find something consistent, find something small. Mm. I think it's very, very important that we start first with the tithe mm-hmm. before we start investing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very clear that God has made it made it very clear to us that we are to give first to the storehouse and give his first. And I think something that's very can be very good is what I like about 401k also is because that is a company withdrawal. Both your tithe and your 401k can be taken out before it ever gets to your paycheck. So you've already basically taken care of those matters first before you've chosen to take a, take to buy some of the other things that you would have. And I would just say last, always remember that Rule 72 and that things are going to start out very slowly. So you may be five years in and it's like, I've been very faithful doing this and I haven't shown a lot of growth. But around the corner is the exponential growth that you're going to be able to look back on the other side and say 30 and 35, 40 years down the road, I'm glad I did that 40 years ago. John, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us. I know that that is going to be super helpful for all of our life groups to get to talk about together. So we just thank you so much. I appreciate you having me here. Thank you. So I kind of feel like I got a free economics class. Like John is so wise about Mm -hmm. investing resources. And I also love that so much of his focus was on relationships. Yes, I feel that way every time I meet with John. One time I was asking him about how to be a better like leader. And he was like, well, it's kind of like you want to be like a referee in a football game or or in a a sporting event. Like if you do, if you do your job really well, no one ever notices you and the game goes on. I was like, oh, yeah. 
that sounds really good. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. One thing that I do want to acknowledge, though, is that sometimes when you hear information like that, it can kind of feel a little overwhelming. Like yeah. you might start comparing yourself with others, or you might feel like you're really behind if you haven't been investing since your early 20s. And like we talked about at the very beginning of the season, like we don't want any of this to make you feel shame about what you have or haven't done with your money in right. time. So, I mean, we can just look at the Bible. Romans 8.1 tells us there is no condemnation in Christ. Mm. And also, everyone's situation is going to look different, like we've been saying. So, instead of focusing on the parts that you can't do, what you Mm. heard John say, find something you can focus on that you can do. John actually mentioned the parable of the talents. And something that's easy to overlook is that those people in the story were in different situations. But Mm -hmm. actually, the first two servants, they had different amounts of money that they had raised, but they were equally praised. The point Mm -hmm. was that they both used what they were given wisely, even though the amounts were different. Yeah. And when I was reading that the other day, I noticed something different that I hadn't considered before. So the third servant, the one that gets called wicked and lazy, Mm -hmm. he's the only one who seems to have had a distorted view of the master, which is kind of a symbolism for God, right? Like we don't know exactly how the first two felt about their master, but we do know they invested well with what they were given, which probably means they trusted him pretty well. Like you wouldn't invest if you thought they were going to be super mad at you. Right. But in Matthew 25, 24, it says that the third servant knew the master was a hard man, so he was scared to invest it. Hmm. So I think that the parable of the talents is a reminder to reevaluate the way we think about God. Right. Like if we truly believe that God is generous and abundant and kind, then the way we spend our money and time will probably reflect that. We won't be so afraid to give to others. But if we think God's going to be angry with us or that he can't be trusted to provide, we'll probably hoard what we have or put Mm. our trust in resources instead of who God is. And so I think what all of that tells me is that our budget and our calendar are indicators of what we believe about God. And so when I look at my budget and my calendar, I have to ask myself, what do these say about what I believe about God? Yeah. Does it say that I think he's unkind or that he's unable to provide? Yeah. Or does it say that I trust he's faithful to provide and that he has my best interest in mind? Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that rest, you know, making time in my schedule to rest is a way to trust that God mm-hmm. is enough. Yep. Money, you know, being willing to spend on like doing something new and courageous or yeah. give and be mm-hmm. generous is a way to trust that God is enough. So I think as we apply John's very practical advice, let's do it from a place of abundance and trusting that God is faithful to be enough to meet our needs. I love it. So this week, let's talk about these questions. What does your budget and your calendar say about your view of God? And then Mm. let's get practical too. In what ways could you better invest the resources that God has entrusted you with? We're talking all about how to manage our time and money well this season. And one great way to spend your time is to talk about this episode with someone you care about. Wondering how to get started? We've got some questions and resources to help you out on the conversation guide, which is always linked in the show notes wherever you're listening. Also, one way that you could be generous with your time is to leave a rating and review for this episode. It really does help more people find these stories and conversations. Thanks and have a great week.